Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for being here. I decided this morning I'm going to take French as a second language so I can hear what Saeed's actually saying. What an individual. What a, what a great start to the morning. We're going to make a stop this morning in our Joseph narrative in a very familiar place. It is the spot in the narrative where Joseph literally runs for his integrity. He runs for his very spiritual life. But it would be wrong this morning if we just stopped and we just looked at some principles about how to stay pure. Because there is much more to the story. You see, Joseph is destined to rule. He knows that that's his future because he's had the dreams. And so... To just stop and say, well, let's give you some principles. Here's how you stay away from sexual temptation. We'd be missing the whole picture. The picture is God is developing a story using Joseph to save a nation. But the truth of the matter is, you and I are also destined to rule. And as believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us very clearly that we will reign with Christ. So why would we? Throw that away for a few minutes of comfort or pleasure or life's distractions. And what I want you to do this morning is look at something more because God has your story in his hands and he's developing it. He knows it. He knows where you're going. He knows what lies ahead of you. And so I want you to think big. I want you to look into the future. I want you to see the big picture, and be encouraged by what God is doing in your life. So take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Genesis 39. The second half of verse 6 is where we'll be this morning. Use your app. Just take out your cell phone or your tablet, download that Ridgewood app, or open it up, and you can go to sermon notes in the media section and just go right to the study notes for this morning. If you want to grab a pew Bible in front of you, this page number 33. Genesis 39. Now, here's where we are. Put your finger there for a minute. God has sovereignly placed Joseph in the care of this man, Potiphar. And Potiphar is a powerful man. He's the the head of all of the king's affairs. But as Neil correctly pointed out last week, he was more than just a jailer. He was a, a torturer. He was an executioner. And he wielded a tremendous amount of power. But because God was in Joseph's story, this is where Joseph needed to end up. So through the jealousy and the hatred of his brothers, here he is in Potiphar's house. But as always during this narrative, what we see is that the dream that Joseph had, that he would rule, is consistently tested. It's pushed. And there are destroyers of the dream. And so we're going to see another moment where this dream is tested this morning. And so here's what's going to happen. We're going to see the future of the dream is going to be tested by this temptation of the woman. Now, if Joseph is going to cave in, he's going to be rendered powerless. The dream isn't going to happen. The dream is not only that Joseph would rule, but that his family in Canaan, which is Israel would escape a famine, move to Egypt, and though in chains, would grow into be a great nation, and then Christ would be born because of the covenant promises. That's what's at stake in this dream. And Joseph is aware of this. 
And Joseph understands that if the dream is to be fulfilled, that he must be faithful to God, just as God is being faithful to him. But the woman in our story today does not understand this. She just sees Joseph as the head of her husband's household. She doesn't understand that he's been appointed to rule by God himself. And so you have this incredible interplay between the duplicity of the woman and the determination of Joseph. And so it makes for a striking narrative. Let's begin second half of verse 6. The woman's behavior is characteristic of this incredibly immoral culture. But Joseph understood the importance of submitting to God. Here's the text. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. And so here's the woman now. She is going to go after Joseph. Now, beauty runs in Joseph's family. In 29.17, his mother Rachel is described as being beautiful in form and appearance. But the woman completely misreads Joseph. Joseph has passions like any other man, but his overriding passion is to walk with God, is to walk into the dream that God has for him. And so she doesn't understand this. She has underestimated this man. But she's fulfilling her role in the story. Because she's the wife of a powerful man. She would have been expected to party, to intermingle immorally with other people. And that's exactly what she's doing. The problem is, the one thing she wants, she can't have. And that's Joseph. So here's the next destroyer of the dream. It's sexual temptation. It threatens to destroy all that God is doing in the story. Now, the, the thing that's really interesting, and the reason that this narrative gets pulled out and is used for purity's sake and, and how, to, how to stay pure, and that's, that's appropriate, but here's the thing. She came at Joseph day after day after day after day. And at a deeper level, this woman represents Egypt in the story. Because Joseph is towing this really narrow line because he's going to lead this immoral nation, this enemy of Israel. He's going to almost become Egyptian. But he never forgot his roots. He's Jewish. His God is Yahweh. And so the woman is Egypt and it's a constant temptation Joseph had to almost become Egyptian to rule, but not here. He wasn't going to cross this line. He wasn't going to do this thing that would destroy the dream. Look at verse 8, and you'll see what I mean. He knows the dream is at stake. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke 
to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Joseph is about honoring the two people that he knows put him there. Potiphar, humanly speaking, put everything he has in my charge. And Yahweh, divinely speaking, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He is bent on following God. He has no intention at all of destroying the dream. He is walking in God's plan. Listen, God has a plan for your life. I think sometimes as we believers, we think that God is with us, but he's kind of standing off to the side. And we know he's there in the story, but he's kind of more of a cheerleader or a judge. And maybe he's cleared the way a little bit so we can walk forward. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe we need to see God as in our story, driving our story forward. And every step we take is divinely orchestrated. Because clearly here, he's taking Joseph where he wants him to go. And Joseph is faithful to that calling. So as, he, as we walk toward Christ, we can understand that God is being faithful to us. As Christ followers, Jesus has to be our Number one thing. We can't have we can't have passions that override the passion for Christ. I think that's the case too many times. And and we look at we look at our relationship with Christ as as an evangelical experience rather than an experience of relational discipleship one on one with the God of the universe. And we attach ourselves more to a movement than we do with Jesus Himself. Here, Joseph knew exactly who he was, and he saw a bigger picture. He could have had this woman. Nobody would have known. No doubt she was a lovely woman. But he chose God because he knew the dream needed to survive. Look at 11 and 12. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. By the way, I'm going to stop there for a second. And speaking of being alone with a woman in the house. Now, Joseph wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing his work. Couldn't avoid this, but you and I can. So I'm talking to the guys now. Don't put yourself in temptation's way. Don't put yourself in a place where you'll be, well, where you can be accused. Stay above reproach. Don't don't be alone with a woman that's not your wife. Don't don't go to coffees and lunches with women that aren't, aren't, aren't your wife. Why allow people to talk? Why allow sparks to fly? Just be careful. And so he was there in the house, verse 12. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So again, God is working on a bigger plan here. He's devising something marvelous. And when we look at this text here, this is really more about God's faithfulness than it is about sex. This is all about God's faithfulness. You go back to verse 2, and you see this important phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. It's about God's faithfulness. The narrator, Moses, isn't really all that concerned with Potiphar. We know very little about him. He's not even so much concerned about adultery. The point is faithfulness to God. The point is walking in the dream. The point is is that God is at work to bring Israel 
into Egypt to thrive so Christ could come. That's the point. Faithfulness. And the focal point of this is all about that. But Joseph needed to do something to avoid the dream being destroyed. So what does he do? Does he say to her, hey, you know what? You're really pretty and I like how you dress. And, you know, you do a great job of house cleaning here. And you got a great house. You know, like, listen, you know, I just don't think I feel comfortable with you. So maybe we could just talk about this later. Now he runs. He, he, he hightails it out of there. And it would be foolish for us not to stop and see how Joseph did this. You're wondering how to avoid temptation? Run. Run. James says it very clearly in 4.7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is the phrase that's important. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Joseph was being who he is. He was submitted to the will of God in his life. He was submitted to the dream. And so he was just acting like Joseph. He didn't have to conjure something up. Be submissive to God's plan in your life. And, and it's really interesting here, as, as the, the representative of Egypt, is that the woman can never really touch Joseph. She's left with a garment in her hand. You see, Egypt could never really touch Joseph. Because Joseph was God's man. The dream is God's dream. And when you're walking in God's dream for your life, when you're walking toward where God wants you to be, when you're running toward Christ, no one's going to be able to touch you either. Now, Satan will come after you. We'll talk about that in a moment. You're going to get scarred, beaten, and bruised. This isn't the prosperity gospel. But what I am telling you is that if you walk in the dream, the dream will come to you because God is in that story. And I want you to be encouraged by that. And so here... Joseph just runs, and he knows that this is not who he is. He knows about the laws of God. He knows that sleeping with another man's wife is wrong. And the problem in our culture is that we've drawn such a vague line around sexuality. You know, the Bible says that anything outside of marriage that's, that's, that's sexual activity is sin. Not because God is mean. It's because God designed sex to be this beautiful picture of intimacy that we find in the Trinity. We, we can't glimpse that any other way than to see how God designed sex within marriage. The love between the groom and the bride. And when we take sex outside of marriage, we throw that gift away. And that's how you have to teach your kids. Don't just say, you know what, the Bible says that's wrong. Don't do that anymore. Explain to them. God gave you this gift. Treasure the gift. Hold on to the gift. And that's why I'm doing this seminar in a couple of weeks on November 1st, because we need to learn about biblical sexuality. We need to know what God has said about sexuality in our culture. So Joseph is moving along in the dream. So here's what's going to happen next. The woman is threatening to destroy the dream. Sexual temptation is the method. But the woman now predictably becomes an accuser, and she moves in with the brothers as a destroyer of the dream. Look at verses 13 through 19. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. 
And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought among us. I love how she keeps blaming her husband for this event. It's like the garden when God goes to Adam. And he goes, well, that was Eve. Eve did all that. He came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And so Joseph is accused. But here's what we have going for us as the readers of the story. We know better. We know what God's plan is here. We can see that God is working. We can see that she's lying. We can see that God has protected Joseph once again and that the dream is still alive. And we can see that God's plan is at work. 19 and 20. As soon as his master heard his words, that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. You say, well, that doesn't seem like God's really doing a very good job of protecting Joseph. He's falsely accused, thrown in prison. But here's the question. When you read this text really carefully, did Potiphar really believe his wife? Now, certainly, his anger was kindled. Joseph's in prison. But here's the thing. In Egypt, crimes against women were treated harshly. Torture, death. Joseph gets a light sentence. Joseph is soon lifted to the top spot in the prison, to run the prison. Likely, Potiphar didn't really buy his wife's story because Joseph had earned his trust. Once again, the faithfulness of Joseph leads people to a place where they can trust him and trust the dream. And this is all about Joseph. And, and the dream, again, was saved by God's faithfulness. You see God's faithfulness over and over and over in this story? Why would you believe that God isn't faithful to you? Why would you believe that God isn't in your story? But we have such doubt. We have such anxiety. We, we, we move forward as if we're in chains or as if God doesn't really like us or care about us. Listen, God loves you. You're his child. If you're in relationship with him, you have a dream. You're going to rule next to Christ. So Revelation 20 says very clearly. So why would you think that God's given up on you? Why would you think that God's given up on your life or on your kids or on your marriage? He's not given up anything. But what Paul tells us to do is embrace this and run toward Christ. Do you not know that you are in a race? All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Not just stumble around and hope you land on something that you like. Not just wait around till somebody, you know, invites you to a Bible study or something. No. Run toward the dream. God has your dream waiting for you. And so like Joseph, we can do this. We can go and get on our horse and ride hard toward the dream. Now here's the thing about what I'm saying to you is I'm not giving you the easy road. I'm saying to you that this is a no-holds-barred kind of discipleship that Jesus called us 
too. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for those who are just trying out Christianity. It's for those who are deeply committed to Jesus. That's what discipleship is. And our enemy will do anything to get us off our game. I have, to do, I have to tell one Viking story to redeem myself from what happened earlier with my Pittsburgh Steelers shirt. Do you remember, for those of you who are old enough, and now you're all going like, oh, yeah, this is going to be one of those stories, you know, Viking stories. When they played at the old Met, remember? It was cold. I remember sitting there one day. It was about 10 below zero. It was Tommy Kramer's first game, and I left, and I didn't feel my feet for about a month. But remember on the sidelines at the old Met, you had each team on one side. Not like they do now. So you had the Vikings here, and then you had the opposing team here. On the opposing team sideline, you had big warmer hand warmers, heaters, the whole thing. On the Vikings sideline, you had nothing. No heaters, no gloves, nothing. Why? Because Bud Grant was saying to them, you've got to be tough. You've got to be better. You have to adopt, adapt here to your climate. You have to have an edge. And I believe that if we are going to Defeat Satan in this battle that we have to be running toward Christ with a purpose and an edge. Otherwise, we're going to get killed. It's a battle out there. It's, we don't talk enough about that battle. Jesus sent his disciples into to horrific situations knowing that they could succeed. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Really easy assignment. Right? Super easy. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Oh, sure, no problem. We're there. It's not the kind of assignment you go on with a cup of coffee in one hand. Really hard discipleship. Why did he do that? Because, number one, he knew that they could do it with his help. But, number two... They knew they needed to do it so they'd have to depend completely on him as they ran toward their dream. Every one of those disciples that lasted through the life of Christ went on to be incredible proclaimers of the gospel and had a huge effect. And so I just want to just talk for just a minute before we go about this idea of dangerous discipleship. Because Joseph's life was a life full of danger destroyers of the dream, difficult circumstances. And he constantly found himself in these places, but he was faithful to God. And I know that we at Ridgewood, we long to be a dangerous church for the gospel. We long to matter. We long to be walking into our dream that God has for us. I don't think we have any idea what God has for us yet. But in order to do that, you've got to plan. And so this is why we're always talking about small groups, community groups that we can Come together and, and love each other well and always have a place to go into our neighborhood to save people. It's difficult to, to, to develop a ministry for those with disabilities because so few of them know the gospel. Really hard. It's hard to do that well. Refining our global missions program so we can get people saved so we can ride the back of people like Saeed. This is what God has called us to do, but it isn't easy. And the same goes for our lives. God's called you into something. You signed up. You know, when these young ladies were in the, in the baptism this morning, getting baptized, that commitment is a lifelong commitment. 
And, and what's going to happen personally for all of us and for our church is that Satan's going to throw Potiphar wife-like moments in front of us. And we're going to be tempted, we're going to be distracted, we're going to be hurt and wounded. But if we can stay together and be humble and prayerful, we can do this. So that's our church. Now what about you? You see, Joseph, Joseph is steadfast, loves God, has incredible moral character, but he clearly understands the dream. Do you understand the dream that God has for you? Maybe a start would be just to look around. Your, your children, pour yourself into your kids. Connect them to Jesus. Teach them about Christ. Let them learn to walk in the dream. If you have grandchildren, do the same thing. Do it at school. Understand that God has a community around you that needs to be reached. That's what he has for you. And, and then I'll, I'm just going to leave you with this. I'm not trying to push an agenda, but I'm going to tell you that dreams come true in Christian community. We need each other. You try to do this yourself, you know, you're going to get killed. So find a Bible study. Find a community group. Find, revisit friendships. I know in my own life, I've got guys who are older and wiser, although the older I get, I don't know how I can find keep getting older guys. So, you know, at some point I'm going to have to, like, mentor myself or something. But I've got guys who are... Who, 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 to this day, if I get in a situation I don't know what to do, I can send an email or a call and get a wise counsel back. I can't do this myself. So when you're running towards your dream that God has for you, do it in community. We need to do this as a church. So we saw baptisms. We heard Saeed. We know that God is working. We know that God has destined Joseph to rule because he did rule and Israel was saved. But he's also destined you to rule. And so don't throw that away on momentary pleasure or comfort or some plan that you have for your life. Submit yourself to Christ, resist the devil, and let God work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us together at this moment in time in history. Lord, you have so much for us. We have no idea. So please, Lord, show us what you have for Ridgewood and for us as individuals. Help us to submit to you in all areas of our life. And God, thank you for keeping the dream alive. Thank you for bringing Jesus into the world so that he could die and, and take all sin upon himself. So that, But just by belief in Jesus, we can have new and eternal life. Because the dream lived. And the dream lives today. And because of your grace, not only can we confront life's issues and difficulties... But we can reign with you. What a dream. What a future. Help us to live with an eternal perspective. God, please. As we sing Amazing Grace, know it comes from the bottom of our heart and the depth of our soul because we wouldn't be here without you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.